Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Boy, have I missed you. My radio family missed you very, very much. Needed the two weeks off, spent a lot of time together with my beautiful wife and family. That's always a good thing, too. But I really did miss you very much, and I want to thank all the folks who sat in here for their time and their outstanding broadcast skills. And I want to thank you for listening to them. Now I have to jump right back into the slop. It's unfortunate. The slop that is Washington, D.C., the slop that is the American media, the slop that is the Democrat Party, the slop that is the American Marxist movement. But we all have to jump in in order to wrestle it to the ground, don't we, folks? And so here we are, and... I hope you didn't watch the Sunday shows, except mine, of course. I hope you didn't watch them. Filled with propaganda, all saying the same thing, all bringing on January 6th committee members or the never-Trumpers, all telling us that if Donald Trump is nominated again, democracy will fail, all telling us that Donald Trump led an insurrection because he failed to act, all telling us, That this was the greatest threat since the Civil War. And they're going to subpoena Trump, the Trump kids. They're going to subpoena conservative members of the House. They're going to get to the bottom of this, boy. And it's all being orchestrated by Nancy Eva Stretch Pelosi. All of it. To take attention away from her dereliction of duty to protect that building and to accept the offer of 10 to 20,000 National Guardsmen to accept the offer from law enforcement, to beef up protections. So much so that I read over the holiday 
that the committee wants to release an interim report. Well, why do they need to release an interim report? Because they might lose power by next year this time. So this is entirely political. Entirely political. This was not an insurrection. Five people were not killed on that day. One person was killed on that day by a Capitol policeman who got away with it and is now celebrated as some kind of a righteous hero. The only cop Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats like. The only one. The only one. Meanwhile, during the holiday, cops were murdered in the street in this country. Murdered. And there was a decision against former police officer Powell that turned my stomach in Minnesota. She never should have been charged. The individual she killed was clearly an accident. It was caught on the body cam, for God's sakes. And the individual, this 20-year-old, had a criminal record as long as my arm. And yet, because of the ambiguity in the law, this police officer, Powell, was convicted. Potter, excuse me, Potter, was convicted. Outrageous. Now, if this event on January 6th last year was an insurrection, how come nobody's been charged with committing or participating in an insurrection? The Department of Justice, highly politicized under Joe Biden and Meritless Garland, they're looking under every rock. They're charging people with trespassing, with parading in public. Where's all the insurrection charges? There's not one. Not one. And of course, all the firearms that were used in the Capitol building by these so-called insurrectionists. Well, they didn't use any firearms. None. Oh, okay. Well, they tried to burn the building dead. No, they didn't. Now, I'm not going to defend violence. I'm not going to defend what took place on January 6th with those who were violent. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this was the greatest threat to this republic since the Civil War. The greatest threat to this republic is the Democrat Party before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and after the Civil War. That's the greatest threat, including Nancy Pelosi. She threatens our liberties more than anyone or anything else, as far as I'm concerned. But it is time for a brief history lesson. Because you're not going to get it from Chuck Todd, who's as dumb as a rock, and a political hack with a stupid haircut. You're not going to get it from George Stephanopoulos. Remember him going after women, a misogynist, when he headed the war room for the pervert-in-chief? Oh, I remember him. All these political hacks, the worst of the political hacks, now have Sunday shows to tell you what to think. But before I jump in, let me remind you of something. The greatest threat to democracy. We've had three presidents, JFK, McKinley, and Garfield, who were assassinated 
seems to me a pretty great threat to democracy. How about you? How about you? We had the Democrat Party throughout the South. Post-Civil War, right up into the last century. Hanging black people. The Klan and others. The party of slavery and segregation. The party of the Klan. The party of Jim Crow. That seems to me a pretty grave threat to democracy. When it comes to voting, it's not Republicans who've prevented people from voting. It's the Democrats. The Democrats want people to vote who shouldn't vote. That's a big difference, you know. Today they do. And we'll get into that later. There's lots to cover here. Tyranny knows no bounds when the Democrats are in town or when they're not in town. 2016 Russia collusion was the most aggressive, comprehensive effort to reverse an election and overthrow an elected president in American history. And the parties involved are the parties who are now self-righteously projecting about 2020 in January 6th. Chuck Todd, George Stephanopoulos, Jake Tamper, all the reprobates, all the miscreants and malcontents dressed up as journalists who've destroyed the First Amendment and freedom of the press. They were all in on it. Obama and Biden, their various departments and offices, they were all in on it. Hillary Clinton and the Democrat Party, the DNC, they were all in on it. Perkins Coy and Mark Elias and Sussman and the other lawyers, slip and fall types, they were all in on it. All in on it. But now they say January 6th is the worth, orchestrated by Pelosi because they must. They must. January 6th, it's the first time an election was ever really challenged, don't you know, ladies? It's the first time. Well, let's disabuse these moronic hacks of this. As pointed out, even in the New York Times by a guest columnist some time ago. In January 2001, the late Representative Alcee Hastings objected to counting his state's electoral votes because of, quote, overwhelming evidence of official misconduct, deliberate fraud, and an attempt to suppress voter turnout. Sheila Jackson Lee referred to the, quote, millions of Americans who've been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. Maxine Waters of California characterized Florida's electoral votes as fraudulent. Vice President Al Gore presided over the meeting in 2001. He had to overrule their objections. But Al Gore brought all the lawsuits. He started it. Went all the way to the Supreme Court where he tried to overturn the election system, the laws, in the state of Florida, as did the Florida Supreme Court. But the U.S. Supreme Court, under Chief Justice Rehnquist, had the guts and the wisdom and the foresight to act, to intervene, and to stop what the Democrats were doing to the Republican legislature to stop what the state Supreme Court had done. Unlike this court, which wouldn't stop what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did to the Republican legislature. In January 2005, in the wake of Mr. Bush's re-election, Democrats were more aggressive. Barbara Boxer, reprobate, California, joined Representative Stephen Tubbs Joseph, uh, Stephanie Tubbs-Jones of Ohio to lodge a formal objective to Ohio's electoral votes. 
The objection compelled Congress to spend two hours in debate, even though Mr. Bush won Ohio by more than 118,000 votes. Barbara Lee of California claimed that the democratic process was thwarted. Gerald Nadler, New York, the right to vote was stolen. Waters objected to dedicating her objection to the documentary filmmaker Michael Moore. Fahrenheit 9-11. It failed. But 31 members of the House and Ms. Boxer in the Senate voted to reject Ohio's electoral votes. Effectively voting to disenfranchise the people of Ohio. In January 2017, after Donald Trump's victory, Democrats in Congress once again challenged the election outcome. Jim McGovern of Massachusetts cited, quote, the confirmed and illegal activities engaged by the government of Russia. Ms. Lee of California argued that Michigan's electoral votes should be thrown out because, quote, people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence of Russian interference in our elections. She cited, quote, the malfunction of 87 voting machines. There were objections against the votes in at least nine states. And it goes on. It goes on. Well, what took place on January 6th? Was it the greatest threat to democracy in American history? Nancy Pelosi wants you to believe that. Joe Biden wants you to believe that. The Democrat Party and the media want you to believe it. This is the same cabal that is pushing to destroy our economic system, our immigration system, our financial system, our voting system, and as I said, pushed the Russian hoax, collusion, lies for two and a half years. In March 1954, Puerto Rican nationalists, a gang, sat in the gallery at the House of Representatives. And they decided to try to kill members of the House of Representatives. This is how it was, well, actually, let me take a break before we run out of time. I want to play for you what took place and how it was reported. We'll be right back. Mark in. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month, and you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. We're going to have to wait till after the bottom of the hour to do the audio, because there's not enough time in this segment. But there was an outstanding piece written some time ago. This is important because you were being indoctrinated all Sunday, January 6th. They're going to push. And really, it's all aimed at attacking you, Trump supporters, painting with a broad brush, attain, uh, attacking President Trump. You hear 
If you want to hear what they're up to, listen to Liz Cheney. She's actually pretty stupid. And she goes out there and exposes the whole agenda. The whole nasty, sickening, poisonous agenda, which is to stop Trump. She would like to be president if she can, or she'd like one of the other rhino frauds to be president. One of the people that might get the uh, rubber stamp from the Cheney family or the Bush family or the usual reprobates. But it's a different time now. You know, uh, I remember when the Bushes did their best to undermine Ronald Reagan, and they've done their best to undermine Donald Trump as well, as far as I'm concerned, as they slobber all over the Obamas. Now, all that said, all that said, the point here is to try and stop Trump. Because they see that the vast majority of Republicans would support Trump for president again. Now, some of you may not. Some of you may. That's not the point. They just fear this man like nothing else. He's a great threat to democracy, they say. Not the Democrat Congress that wants to destroy the court. Even John Roberts, the feckless John Roberts, the Chief Justice, finally came out and said that these threats about packing the court, they're an effort effectively to intimidate judges and justices. Well, of course they are. You've got Schumer now pushing to eliminate the filibuster by January 17. Why? So they can nationalize all elections, destroy the Republican states. And it's not so every person who's allowed to vote votes. It's so every person they want will vote once, twice, more than once. And illegal aliens will be free to vote because you will not have ID requirements and you will not have election judges who can question the voting of individuals. And it turns out thousands, up to 12,000 foreigners actually voted in the state of Texas. That doesn't get headline news. Nobody's running with that. You can't prove fraud. You can't show fraud. 12,000 illegal aliens voting in Texas? That sounds like fraud to me. And if 12,000 illegal aliens are voting in Texas with voter ID, imagine. Imagine foreigners, not necessarily illegal aliens. Even worse, just foreigners. Because they don't want any rules. The Democrat Party is embracing Marxism. And why have rules? This isn't about majoritarianism. This isn't about democracy. This is about republicanism, little r. Voting is just part of the system. It's not all the system. It's part of the system. Which is why they keep attacking the constitutional system. Which is why they have the borders wide open. Which is why they don't believe in checks and balances and separation of powers unless they can use these rules to attack a Republican president. All right, when I come back, we will start with the attack, the shooting of members of the House of Representatives on March March 1, 1954. Something that Chuck Todd never talks about because he's a dumbass. I'll be right back. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education. And it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. 
And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great Digest of Liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. All right, folks. March 1, 1954. Cut four, go. In Washington, D.C., ruthless, fanatic violence erupted in the halls of Congress. Three men and a woman believed to be members of the Puerto Rican nationalist gang that in November 1950 attempted the assassination of President Truman opened fire from the visitor's gallery of the House of Representatives. Five congressmen were hit. Ben F. Jensen of Iowa, Clifford Davis of Tennessee, Kenneth Roberts of Alabama, George H. Fallon of Maryland, and Albert Bentley of Michigan, who was seriously injured. So stop. Four members of Congress were shot, one seriously, from the gallery down onto the House floor. They were shot. Go ahead. Attack came as the Inter-American Conference opened in Venezuela, and it suggested the motive may have been to arouse anti-United States feeling in Latin America through an act of apparently blind violence carefully calculated to inflame America's relations with her neighbors. Estimates of the numbers of shots fired range from 15 to 30, and each bullet hole found is a grim reminder to those who were present of the terrible surprise attack. Seized by shocked bystanders as they emptied their guns, was held at police headquarters as a widespread search was launched for others who shared in the plot. To Irving Forrest, Raphael Miranda, Mrs. Lolita Lebron, Andre Cordero, the gun wielders, and to their accomplices goes the evil distinction of having perpetrated a criminal outrage almost unique in America's history. Wanton violence that shocked and stirred the nation and did only harm to the cause of the Puerto Rican people. Bullet holes can be seen in the House chamber from shots fired in 1954 by Puerto Rican nationalists. March the 1st, 1954, and that's when the four Puerto Ricans uh, entered the Capitol and the House gallery where I was working and began to shoot into the chamber. Five members of Congress were wounded. No one died. I was the staffer at that time in the gallery, and our position was to sit at the apex of the, of the gallery. And we took notes and kept abreast of what was happening. At that time, uh, we were debating a bill which is very much, almost very much in the news today. It was called the Bracero Bill. It was a bill allowing immigrant workers from the south of the, our borders to come into California and Arizona and New Mexico to work the fields and harvest the fruit and things like that. And it was pretty controversial even then. And I turned around, noticed some people came in the door, which was to my left upstairs, and then I turned around and looked at them. And, um, you know, I figured they were just tourists like so many people. And I paid no more attention to them. 
For some reason or another, I've never been able to fathom this. I decided I couldn't hear very well. And I still have that problem today. And so I moved my seat further down the aisle. We had stools there so I could be almost directly above the speaker's desk so I could hear better, which was true. You could hear better. And it wasn't 10 seconds after I moved that uh, I heard this loud popping noise, pow, pow, pow. And I turned around in my seat to my left and looked up and I see these people are standing up with guns in their hands and a woman was standing with them and she had a big flag and she was unfurling the flag, you know, waving the flag back and forth and uh, I ducked underneath the ledge. We had a ledge, a writing ledge and a phone right there and I subsequently found out I cut my hand and I got on the phone and to my intercom to the office and I said, there's a shooting going on out here to my boss and everybody was scurrying and running around and I noticed basically some people who were in the gallery, visitors, who were grappling with these people and pushing them out the door. I was in the back benches in the corner waiting to uh, be called to go to the various members' chairs to determine what they needed. A call came in, I was in the first chair, I got up to go, and I took about two or three steps, and uh, I, I recall hearing what I thought at the time sounded like firecrackers, you know, a lot, almost as if you lit a pack of firecrackers and threw them, fast, rapid reports. But in reality, about after the third step, I got sprayed with what made me feel was sand or ash or stone. And as a young man, I had done a lot of target practice inquiries. So I was well aware of what a bullet does when it hits and glances off a stone. It sets off a spray. And it felt like the same thing. And immediately I remember thinking, by golly, these are gunshots. They're not uh, 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 firecrackers. So I hit the floor. And that's right behind the elevated floor of the house. And then within a matter of a few moments, the, the firing ceased and there was a lot of uh, commotion on the floor and disorganization. But because I had an early realization of what was going on, my first instinct to see whether anyone was hurt. And uh, my best friend, as a matter of fact, uh, who was also a page, Bill Emerson, who I'd met uh, that about, was just several well, a year and a half before that time, but we were roommates and best friends at school. Uh, he was also in the corner and when my sign was made. Immediately I got up and I got Bill, and we both went onto the floor, and, and, and we determined that they needed stretchers, and some people were wounded. So we, we tried to organize the pages and other people to help us out to get these conveyances. And over the process of the next half hour or so, uh, we participated in carrying three of the members out to the ambulances, and the last member that we took out, we went to the hospital with him. It's now a famous picture in several respects. It's the picture of the year uh, 1954 in Life magazine, and it was taken right outside the doors of the house as we're starting on down the steps of the Capitol. Uh, the fellow with his finger pointing in front is my best friend, Bill Emerson. He was a member of All right, Congress. folks, you get the point. It was heavily covered by the media in the 1950s, 1954. It was a direct attack against the members of the House. Four members were shot, one seriously. The House was breached. These individuals came in with weapons. 
They were waving the Puerto Rican flag. They wanted independence. What's interesting is there's been many votes on independence, and they all lose. So what happened to these four people? These four people who sought to murder members of the House of Representatives. Murder them. We don't have a single charge of that kind. Not one. Not even close. In the quote-unquote 700 people who've been rounded up. Not one. Not a single gun was fired except by a Capitol Police officer who killed an American Army veteran who did not have a weapon and posed a threat to nobody. As pointed out in the Daily Signal, 23 years later, President Carter commuted the sentence of one of the individuals who had cancer. Two years after that, he commuted the sentences of the other three. The one who had cancer died in 79. The other three lived long lives of leftist activism. A leftist activism. And some were treated as heroes. One got a fawning obituary in the New York Times. Carter's Secretary of State, Cyrus Vance, said the release would be a significant humanitarian gesture and would be viewed as such by much of the international community. Carter later told Congressional Hispanic Caucus members he had released them for humane reasons over 25 years was long enough. The four were unrepentant. At least two of the terrorists said they would not rule out using violent means again, which was probably the reason then Puerto Rico Governor Carlos Romero Borrello sent Carter a strong and forceful letter against releasing unrepentant terrorists and warning of dangerous repercussions, a letter Jimmy Carter ignored. 1954. You see, because they know this isn't taught in the public schools or colleges and universities, and they know that Chuck Todd and George Stephanopoulos and the others will cover up for them. They just continue to repeat that January 6th is the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. Not the assassination of three presidents, not 9-11. Not the Democrat Party and their alliance with the Klan and lynchings. None of that. No, 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 no. Not segregation and Jim Crow. Not 9-11. January 6th. Which is why they have to keep calling it something it's not, an insurrection. Which is why they have to keep saying five people died that day when we know four of them died having nothing to do. Nothing to do with an assault except one who was a protester. Who was a protester. Gets even more interesting. It's going to take a little time. You know, I'm not, you know, we're not speeding through the show. It's just going to take a little bit of time. The Weather Underground. You're familiar with the Weather Underground. People in the Weather Underground were buddies, Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, with Barack Obama. And when that came out during the primaries brought up by Hillary Clinton and other Democrats, and when it came out during the general election, although feebly and passively, uh, when McCain was running against Obama, the media all but covered it up or really just rejected it, which is what they do all the time. They actually exploded a bomb in the Capitol building. 
1971. When we come back, I want you to hear this. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Folks, they have all the networks and 98% of the news platforms that you have me, which is why we have to take our time and go through this, because much of this you probably have heard for the first time. Well, let's get started. 1971, March 1, again, the Weather Underground, Bill Ayers and his buddies. Cut one, go. At one minute before one o'clock this morning, the switchboard at the Capitol received a phone call. A man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour. At 1.30 in the morning, it did. In a small, unmarked restroom on the ground floor of the Senate side, next to a barber shop and near several small offices, including one committee hearing room, for a report on the first serious damage to the nation's foremost structure since the British burned it in 1814, here is ABC congressional correspondent Bob Clark. There was alarm for a time that other bombs might still be hidden inside the Capitol. Police used dogs specially trained to sniff out explosives in a painstaking search both inside and outside the building. The single bomb set off by a timing device left the men's room a shambles, plumbing demolished, bricks and plaster ripped from walls. Army and FBI experts sifted the debris, seeking a clue to the nature of the explosive. There was heavy damage to the nearby barber shop. Windows were smashed there and 100 feet away in the Senate restaurant where tables were overturned and a priceless stained glass mosaic destroyed. Damage estimated in the hundreds of thousands of dollars might have been far worse, but for the three-foot-thick walls in the oldest part of the Capitol. As it was, the violent explosion ripped off doors in nearby conference rooms. There was no damage to the Senate chamber itself on the floor above. Daylight revealed more smashed windows and debris. Tourists were barred from the Senate wing all day, but the entire Capitol will be reopened to the public as soon as possible. Everyone entering the Senate wing today had to pass a security check. The Capitol's police chief told how an operator received the bomb threat. Uh, This building will blow up in 30 minutes. Uh, Evacuate the building. Uh, This is in protest of the Nixon involvement in Laos. In Laos. When George Washington, the chief of a new and shaky union, laid the cornerstone of the Capitol building, he said, it may be relied upon, it is the progress of this building that will inspire or depress the public confidence. 
When Lincoln first met Confederate negotiators towards the end of the Civil War, the first thing the Southerners, all former congressmen, asked was, tell me, sir, how is the capital? Well, after yesterday's desecration, the old place is today a little depressed, and confidence is not unshaken. ABC Capitol Hill correspondent Bob Clark reports. Officials in charge of security at the Capitol, along with Army bomb experts, were summoned to a Senate hearing. The immediate problem is to guard against any more bombings while keeping the Capitol open to the public. It was clear from the testimony about yesterday's bombing that this won't be easy. It probably was, um, or could have very well been, a clock delay device. And it very likely could have been normal dynamite, which is very easy to obtain. It could have been... Oh, 15 to 20 pounds of dynamite. Uh, that amount of dynamite is very easy to bring in in a briefcase. Police did their best to keep the Capitol under tight security today with checkpoints set up to examine packages and briefcases. We tried out the security system, carrying a briefcase into a house office building, past police guards, through an underground tunnel and into the Capitol without being stopped or searched. While we may have been recognized by some guards, it's clearly almost impossible to enforce security through all six buildings linked by tunnels. All right, you get the point. As the Daily Signal points out, no arrests were made, nor were charges, charges filed in connection with the 1971 bombing of the Capitol by the Weather Underground. So there were no sentences to commute. Now, it goes on. The weathermen were at it again a dozen years later in 1983, setting off another bomb that tore through the second floor of the Capitol's north wing, according to the U.S. Senate history site, 1983, 12 years later. Moments earlier, a group calling itself the Armed Resistance Unit called in a warning to the Senate switchboard, but lives were spared only because debate had ceased earlier than expected. Over a million dollars in damage, and the reason the perpetrators gave was U.S. military involvement in Lebanon and Grenada. In 1988, the FBI arrested and charged seven men and women for the execution of the blast. All were either members of the Weather Underground or had some link to it. Some were closely associated with the May 19th communist organization. Some then pleaded deals and were eventually charged with other crimes. Some others were paroled, and one of them is still on the lam. Paroled under who? Under whom? Under whom? Now, Rosenberg, who was pardoned by Clinton, as was another leader of the group, she was supposed to serve 58 years, didn't even come close. She's chairman of the board of Thousand Currents, the deep-pocketed funder of left-wing causes, including Black Lives Matter. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, So I'm telling a story here, a story of history, bringing it up to current day. Because I'm also, at the end of this, wanting you to listen to what these members of this committee, these 
Pelosiites have said about what they're doing. And then it all become abundantly clear. By the way, Ashley Babbitt was with the Air Force. I apologize for that. So the weather underground and what is uh, Obama's buddy, it turns out later, they set off a bomb in the Capitol building. Nobody's charged. Next, next, that was March 1971. In May 1972, they attacked the Pentagon. Cut, tw- uh, cut two, go. Ho Chi Minh's birthday was also marked in Washington. A bomb exploded early this morning in the Pentagon, and left-wing terrorists telephoned newspapers to say they were responsible. Stephen Gere reports. The explosion destroyed one of the Pentagon's 140 women's restrooms. When is the last time you heard the phrase left-wing terrorists in the media? See, say what you will about the 60s and 70s, even the beginning part of the 80s. These were real reporters. These weren't people who were there giving their opinions. These weren't people there who were trying to make a name for themselves that could move from doing straight news to opinion shows and back and forth. We're doing analysis. Go ahead. Fourth floor. No one was injured. The explosion came at 1 a.m., just moments after the Pentagon's duty officer received a warning based on one of a number of calls to newspapers, one of which said the Pentagon would be bombed in celebration of Ho Chi Minh's birthday. Rumors of other bombs plagued officials during the day, but sweeps of the building turned up nothing. Speaking for the Pentagon was an Air Force officer called to duty early this morning. No one was hurt, fortunately, but I'd like to point out that only through good fortune that the people who work in the Pentagon at night were not seriously hurt or killed. There are quite a few people working right down the hall from where the explosion took place who could have very easily have been in that area at the time. Uh, They had no warning at all and could have been seriously hurt or killed by this irresponsible act. Water from pipes ruptured in the blast seeped down to floors below the restroom, interrupting operation of an Air Force computer bank for several hours, soaking office furniture and equipment, and shutting down some stores operated as concessions in the concourse. So far, there's no monetary estimate of the damage. Much of the Pentagon is a public area with visitors and tourists roaming through the halls, but security was tighter today than yesterday. Ironically, before the explosion this morning, the order had gone out here at the Pentagon to tighten security measures. Because of anti-war demonstrations scheduled for this weekend in Washington and plans to block access to the Pentagon on Monday, packages were to be inspected beginning at 7 o'clock this morning. That's six hours after the explosion. Stephen Gere, ABC News, at the Pentagon. So, so far we have the Puerto Rican nationalist movement and Marxist movement shooting four members of Congress on the floor of the House of Representatives from the gallery. Now we have a communist movement, the Weather Underground, a so-called anti-war movement that's violent, that sets off a bomb in the Capitol building. Approximately one year later, sets sets off a bomb in the Pentagon, and they're not done. Approximately three years later, they set off a bomb in the United States Department of State. Cut three, go. People calling themselves members of the Weather Underground last night planted bombs in federal office buildings in Washington and Oakland, California. The group, apparently an offshoot of the old radical weathermen of the 1960s, 
claim the bombs were set to protest American support for South Vietnam and Cambodia. We have reports, first from ABC's Ted Koppel at the State Department. There are very few positive things to say about planting an explosive in a government building, but as an attention-getting device, it's hard to argue with the effectiveness of that bomb that went off in a third-floor washroom here at the State Department early this morning. About 20 offices, all of them empty at the time, were damaged, a few of them by the explosion itself, most of them by water leaking out of ruptured pipes. State Department spokesman Robert Anderson read a prepared statement in behalf of Secretary Kissinger. All of us, including Secretary Kissinger, are relieved that no one was killed or injured by this totally senseless act. At midday, the Associated Press got a phone call from a man saying he was with the Weather Underground and that bombs would explode at the Departments of Interior and Agriculture and the Smithsonian before the day was out. Some 4,500 workers at the Interior Department were eating lunch when they were told to evacuate immediately. Most went home for the day, others stayed to watch. Police used dogs specially trained to sniff out bombs in their search of the Interior Department building, but no bomb was found. At the Smithsonian, security was increased, people were watched, but there was no evacuation. Again, tightened security, but no evacuation at the Department of Agriculture. During a search, someone found a suspicious package, but it turned out to be some old bottles of wine. David Garcia, ABC News, Washington. That other bomb threat was a dramatic one at a military induction center in Oakland, California today. We get details from newsman David Louie of station KGO-TV in San Francisco. Police cordoned off six blocks around the downtown Oakland induction center after the news media received telephone bomb threats. When no bomb went off after an all-night vigil, a dog trained to detect explosives led a search party into the building. The dog failed to find the bomb but a federal agent did in the Navy's seventh floor offices. A Navy demolition crew rushed in. The device was found above a panel in the false ceiling inside a black suitcase. With daylight came scores of spectators held behind police lines. As tense minutes turned into hours, the black suitcase bomb was pulled from the side door at the end of a rope. The demolition team, black-suited and shielded, approached the bomb with a lead pellet blanket and detonating devices. After two attempts, the case caught fire, in turn setting off the charge. Ticking, officials said they had no choice but to blow it up in the street. In view of the fact that it was ticking and that it was apparently that volatile, any more jarring might have done it. And uh, so we figured there wasn't that much that would have done that damage in the center of the street like All right, that. That's that enough. Does January 6th still sound like the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War? Does it to you? Here, the Weather Underground bombed the Capitol building, bombed the Pentagon, bombed the State Department. Here, the Puerto Rican nationalist movement, four of their domestic terrorists, shot four members of the House of Representatives. 
1983, the Weather Underground was at it again and bombed the Capitol building again, blowing the door off of Robert Byrd's office. Notice how they never called the anti-war movement an insurrection movement. Notice how the big media in this country, which has access to a hell of a lot more film than I do, don't even mention these things. Have you noticed that? Instead, they all say the same thing. Whatever Nancy Pelosi wants them to say, they say. Whatever she wants them to say, they say. And when we come back after the break, because they were really hyper-focused on this on Sunday, and you're going to hear speeches on Thursday, and you're going to be told this is the worst thing that ever happened to American democracy, when it clearly was not, you'll notice the telltale signs are not only do they ignore actual factual history that their own networks reported at the time, But they keep talking about how five people died on that day when one was killed by a Capitol Police officer and four others died of other causes. That's like saying the riots in in Minneapolis. How many people during the first night of the riot had heart attacks and died? How many? Well, maybe they had heart attacks because they were very concerned or stressed or whatever about what was taking place. So... The telltale signs about how the media lie, how they push their propaganda, how they create these, these narratives. Police officers weren't killed that day. Police officers weren't shot. Some of them were attacked, and for that these people needed to be punished. But the vast majority of the people who are serving time right now before they even have trials are charged with trespassing. Or parading on public property. And we all saw film where Capitol Police officers were waving in people. What about them? So nobody, at least not me and not you, excuse violence, excuse breaking into the Capitol building. Where we draw the line is the effort to so thoroughly politicize this so as to destroy tens of millions of Americans and their reputations, whereas to create a political scenario where Donald Trump was the leader of the effort because he didn't act, and Nancy Pelosi orchestrating the whole thing behind the scenes and ensuring that nothing that she did, or better yet, failed to do, is being examined by anybody. By anybody. And the pretext for this investigation is to make sure it never happens again, anything like this. Well, if you're going to make sure nothing like this ever happens again, wouldn't you want, as your number one witness, with her texts and her emails and her documents and her testimony under oath, the Speaker of the House? And none of these reports on Sunday, not one, mention the fact that she was offered ten to 20,000 National Guardsmen by the Commander-in-Chief, Donald Trump. Not one! Why would they ignore that? Again, another telltale sign. So what's really going on here? Well, we'll be right back. Lovin.
Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Let me set this up properly. I hope you've been with us since the top of the first hour. The, uh, there was almost no interest by the media, certainly by the Democrats, Biden as a candidate. No interest by the body politic and getting to the bottom of the riots and Black Lives Matter. Quite the contrary, corporatists, athletes and the others were applauding them. And there was a piece that was written... It was posted by Jim Patrick, um, and he is a retired chief of police, current staff writer for law enforcement today. Thousands of cops were injured, over $2 billion in damage during Floyd riots. Where are the congressional hearings? Law enforcement today recently reported a Rasmussen National Police Association poll released on January 21 of last year shows more voters favor a congressional investigation of the violent Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots last summer than the so-called January 6th quote-unquote insurrection. With that in mind, we thought it would be interesting to compare and contrast the two. As we've seen since January 6th, Democrats have seized on the incident to commission a January 6th inquiry, no doubt reminiscent of a Spanish Inquisition, ostensibly to look into what led to the siege of the U.S. Capitol. Unfortunately, this Inquisition Committee will be nothing more than a politically charged witch hunt with the intention of laying the entire blame for the incident on former President Trump and his supporters. There you go. Pelosi was apparently afraid of what they might seek to gain information on, such as why repeated requests from former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund for National Guard troops were summarily rejected. That, of course, falls on Pelosi, who's in charge of Capitol Security. Instead, Pelosi chose never Trumpers, such as Representatives Liv Cheney and Adam Kingsinger, classic rhinos whose only interest in being on the committee is to throw Trump and his tens of millions of supporters under the bus. The January 6th incident has also given rise to the Biden Justice Department and Sleepy Joe himself, alleging that, quote, radical white extremism, unquote, is the greatest threat to our democracy and the greatest threat to our national security, more than al-Qaeda, ISIS, Russia, or China. Meanwhile, Biden, the Justice Department, and the rest of the Democrats totally ignored the violence across the country that started last year and continues in some cases unabated today. The organized riots of last summer have given way to skyrocketing violent crime this summer. According to the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, 95% of the riots that took place last summer were linked to Black Lives Matter. 
Remember the link of Black Lives Matter. Remember to the Weather Underground individual who was released from prison by Clinton. Six percent of the protests which occurred between May 26 and September 5 involved rioting, looting, and similar violence, including 47 fatalities, the Frontier Post reported. Forty-seven. Of the 633 incidents coded as riots, 88% were coded as involving Black Lives Matter activists. All told, there were 12,045 incidents. The rioting wasn't only concentrated in large metropolitan areas, but also found its way into smaller cities such as Fort Collins, Colorado, Cottonwood Heights, Utah, Gilbert, Arizona, Davenport, Iowa. The riots spread across 47 states. The riots that took place last year caused an estimated Two billion dollars in damage across the country, overtaking the 1992 L.A. riots that took place in the wake of the initial Rodney King verdict, which caused 775 million in damage. And according to Axios, adjusted for inflation, those costs would amount to 1.42 billion. The damage estimate provided by Property Claim Services only accounted for damages caused between May 26 and June 26. Uh, Waters of the Insurance Information Institute told The Sun that since the damage is from all over the country, not just one state, the amount would be much larger. Much larger. The Foundation for Economic Education explained the losses don't account for damages that were not insured, which is 75% of U.S. businesses are underinsured under, uh, under today. 40% of small businesses have no insurance at all. It also doesn't account for the loss of business and personal pain and suffering, upon which you cannot put a price. That figure also doesn't consider the long-term economic impact and so forth. The most ludicrous thing about these riots is the disproportionate impact they have on black communities. A 2005 study that examined similar riots from the 60s discovered negative, persistent, economically significant effects of riots on the value of black-owned housing, leading to a 10% decline. And it goes on. What are police officers? According to the major cities' chiefs association, is citing American military news, over 2,000 police officers sustained injuries in just the first few weeks. The report only covered uh, the, uh, the major cities' chiefs association cities. At the White House, some 60 U.S. Secret Service agents were injured, some seriously. 2021, the number of officers feloniously killed in the line of duty saw at 40%. 10,000 people have been arrested in connection with the sometimes peaceful, usually violent riots that took place. 10,000. And yet the insurrection word is about January 6th, where an estimated $1.5 million. Intellectual. Call now. 877-381-3811. I also want to thank all of you folks who have acquired your copies of American Marxism. You understand exactly what's going on in this country. You understand what's going on with this January 6th committee. Uh, Fox, to my great delight, this Sunday, yesterday, ran a rerun of Pete Hegseth's interview of me on American Marxism. I want to thank them for that. And Pete did a tremendous interview. And you get a little taste of what's in the book, American Marxism. But this battle, unfortunately, is going to go on the rest of our lives. It's the nature of the beast, folks. 
And this really, I think, is effectively the pamphlet that would have been produced in 1776 but was produced in 2021 because the threat is just as serious and much more complicated. So I see Amazon still has it at 50% off, 14 bucks a copy, although they say it takes a week to ship. It doesn't take a week to ship. They have twenty five to 30,000 copies on hand, so don't let that distract you or delay you. Now, let's start with this guy, Benny Thompson, who's always been a police hater, by the way, his days before he was an elected official. It's with whom Liz Cheney has teamed up. They have the same interest in mind. He seeks to destroy Trump and the Trump base. She seeks to destroy Trump and the Trump base. With the help of Paul Ryan and Fred Ryan and the Kate Mayorka and other reprobates in the Republican Party who've always hated the base of the Republican Party. The Cheney's never backed Reagan. The Bushes never backed Reagan. The McConnell's never backed Reagan. I'm just telling you the truth, and they're never going to back a Trump. They want their power back. Benny Thompson on Meet the Depression. Keep in mind something. These people are invited on these shows for a purpose. They're invited on these shows for a purpose. I don't think uh, Dana Bash is Meet the Press, is she? No, she's CNN. But in any event, here we go. Let's go to cut six. Go. You have testimony indicating that he was watching television coverage. This is you the also president. tried to tape a video several times on January 6th telling his supporters to stand down. So what is on those tapes? And if you can tell us more about what you've learned about what he was doing during the attack. All right. So let me ask you this, folks. Let's say this is all true. Why does it matter? President Trump's not in charge of protecting the Capitol building. National Guardsmen were offered. What was Nancy Pelosi doing? What was she telling the Capitol Police? We know what she told the Secretary of Defense. That they were hungry. They needed food there. The cafeteria was empty. But what did she do? If you're interested, and this is why Dana Bash is a fraud and all these people are frauds. They're, you know mouthpieces for the Democrat Party. The issue would be the person who's responsible for protecting the first woman Speaker of the House. Oh, yes. What was she doing? That's the question. Why didn't she say, what was the Speaker of the House doing? Go ahead. Well, part of what we are trying to get as a committee uh, from National Archives is the exact records of what occurred on that date. Uh, the president has been in court trying to prevent us from having access to it. President Why Biden is that? Is, Go ahead. That executive privilege does not apply. Uh, but President been, Biden doesn't have the final word if executive privilege does or does not apply. Donald Trump is doing what a president's supposed to do. He's trying to protect the office of the presidency, and if that overlaps with protecting his papers, so be it. So be it. This is the process that takes place. Democrat presidents have done exactly the same thing. It's a question about executive privilege. How far does it go? How far doesn't it go? This is a separation of powers issue. I will note, and it was almost like a bottom footnote on a newspaper, 
that even the Department of Justice under Meritless Garland, they objected to some of the documents this committee was demanding, national security documents, and the committee acquiesced and said, okay, we won't get those. So if President Trump hadn't insisted, that wouldn't have happened. Just because it's Congress, just because they have a committee, just because the media are doing their dirty work and they can say whatever they want on television, doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean there aren't still constitutional and legal issues that need to be adjudicated. Go ahead. Cases uh, that former President Trump has lost on that issue. Yes, and and in both cases, they were Obama-appointed judges. They're district judges, and the circuit court in Washington, D.C., which had two Obama and one Biden judge on the three-judge panel. So cases are appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. You may have heard of a few of them. Brown versus Board of Education. You know, it does happen. So just because you lose in a lower court doesn't mean they're right. Go ahead. Before the Supreme Court now, uh, if we are successful, and we think we will be, uh, we are convinced that we'll have access to those 187 minutes of whatever occurred. But the, the harm that I see is the President of the United States seeing the capital of the United States under siege by people he sent to the capital and did nothing. All right, uh, now that's the key. That's where they're settling. Because they can find absolute... Listen to me. I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm saying. Forget the backbenchers. They'll regurgitate this tomorrow. Stick with me. They have found nothing affirmative where Donald Trump led any kind of an insurrection, directly or indirectly. Period. So now what they're arguing is the fact that he didn't act or didn't act more quickly, dereliction of duty, when he, quote-unquote, sent these people to the Capitol. He didn't send those people to the Capitol. He did more than that. He told them to be peaceful when they protest. Have you ever heard Maxine Waters tell her supporters to be peaceful when they protest or to get in somebody's face? Did you ever hear Barack Melhouse, Benito Obama say peaceful when you protest or get in their face? And he's not the only president that's encouraged peaceful protests. If people were arrested or people were charged with failing to act after they told people to peacefully protest because people didn't, that's not on them. But in this case, it's clearly not on President Trump. Not only were guardsmen offered in advance, not only did he tell people openly for the whole world to see and hear to protest peacefully at the Capitol building, which is what they were planning on doing anyway, he just reiterated and underscored the point. That said, dereliction of duty because he didn't do what? He didn't put out a video fast enough for them? You'll recall that when the White House was under attack and 60 Secret Service men and women were injured, that when Lafayette Park was a staging ground for attacks on the White House, that when the blocks around Lafayette Park and the White House were burning and Trump was thinking of bringing in the military, this clown esper at the Defense Department and other clowns, maybe it was his successor, they came and went so fast, and we had these ex-generals like Mattis and Kelly, all saying, you better not trigger the Insurrection Act. You better not bring in the military. You had the media saying the same thing. Loathsome Chuck Todd, loathsome George Stephanopoulos, the New York Times 
a.k.a. the New York Slimes, the Washington Commons, to a man, to a woman, to a transitioning person. They were saying the same damn thing. Trump the dictator. Too much power when they use tear gas and so forth. Just depends, you see, on who's doing the rioting for the left. Just depends. Or who's doing the bombing, for that matter. 187 days. Go ahead. Uh, minutes. During that time, something's wrong with that. So we need to find out who was calling, who was texting, who was emailing. Why? Uh, doing the- what does that have to do with anything? We need to find out what Trump was doing during that time. So we need all these documents to tell us. Trump had no responsibility whatsoever. It was Nancy Pelosi's responsibility. You see, this is why she packed this committee. This is why January 6th, they're going to notice this anniversary, not for the right reasons, but for the wrong reasons. This is why I'm spending the whole damn show on this. Now, what about these 187 minutes, ladies and gentlemen? We've addressed this before with the help of Tristan Justice over at the Federalist. He said, Wyoming Republican Representative Cheney went after former President Trump in her primetime performance, this is a few weeks back, claiming that private messages of the president's staff revealed an apathetic leader complicit in the riot at the Capitol as the attack unfolded. The violence was evident to all. It was covered in real time by almost every news channel, said Cheney, the hand-picked vice chair of the committee by Pelosi. But for 187 minutes, Trump refused to act when action by our president was required, indeed essential, and compelled by his oath to our Constitution. First of all, that is bullcrap. But secondly, let's follow this. Trump's 187-minute delay to action, she added, was a supreme dereliction of duty. So this is what they're circling around. An actual examination of today's events, however, highlighted by our friend, American Greatness senior contributor Julie Kelly, shows no such delay. Anyone want to ask Liz Cheney, she posted, where she gets 180 minutes, 187 minutes before Trump said anything? The first breach of the building was at two minutes. Thir- excuse me, at two thirteen p.m. Trump's first tweet was at two thirty-eight. That's fifteen minutes later. Please support our Capitol Police in law enforcement. He, he tweeted, "They're truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful." So they do have that, but they don't want that. According to a detailed timeline of the turmoil by the New York Slimes, the first building was not breached until two thirteen p.m. The timeline was corroborated by the Washington Compost, which stamped the first break in at 2.15 p.m. Trump's first tweet, addressing the upheaval shortly thereafter, 2.38 p.m., when the president made a plea for peace, writing, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Now, Dana Bash has this, but she didn't challenge Benny Hill. Benny Hill Thompson. Those of you who remember old British comedy. About 30 minutes later, that is after he tweeted, Trump addressed the demonstrators again on Twitter. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence, exclamation, the president wrote. Remember, we, Capitol, capitalized, are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you, exclamation. That's twice. At, eight, four, at 4.17 p.m., Trump posted a video on Twitter urging rioters to go home, a message that was promptly suppressed across that platform. 
Exactly where Cheney came up with a 187-minute delay and now Benny Hill Thompson is unclear. If starting the clock from the time Trump finished his speech at the White House at 1.10 p.m., unrest at the Capitol gates had already been ensuing for about 20 minutes before he completed his speech. During the address, Trump explicitly called on those gathered to protest peacefully. Cheney's office did not respond to the Federalist inquiries. Too bad you can't subpoena her. And this is not the first time Cheney or the January 6th committee have gone after President Trump and Republican voters with the creation and deployment of fake news. In the election year summer of 2020, Cheney was a primary purveyor of the fake Russian bounty story, which alleged that Trump downplayed Kremlin aggression to accelerate the timeline for troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. Liz Cheney never apologized. At the same hearing on Monday where Cheney made up her own timeline of the Capitol riot, now regurgitated by Benny Hill Thompson, Representative Schiff read text messages between Ohio Republican Jim Jordan and former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, which the Federalists revealed on Wednesday were fabricated. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team, based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. This is a man who is simply too dangerous ever to play a role again in our democracy, meaning Trump, as pointed out at Red State. She said, I look forward to the opportunity to continue to help the American people see the facts about what happened and to continue to make the case at home about the kind of representation we need in Washington for the people of Wyoming. And then, as pointed out by Nick Arema, uh, Liz Cheney, Uh, was asked, well, do you plan to run for president? I'm very focused right now on my re-election and on the work of the select committee. I can tell you that the single most important thing is to ensure that Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee, that he certainly is not anywhere close to the Oval Office ever again. Okay, so she couldn't be more clear, could she, America? This isn't about finding out what happened on January 6th. If you wanted to find out what happened on January 6th, Nancy Pelosi would be sworn, placed under oath, under penalty of perjury, and she'd have to empty her computer of all the information she has. That is the person responsible for protecting the building on January 6th. What was she doing 
staring at TV, looking at the walls, putting her makeup on again and again and again. I don't know. But that's what Cheney's interested in, destroying Trump and his supporters. Nothing more, nothing less. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, now it's better. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. How are you? Pleasure to be here with you. Well, they're still targeting the Trump family, just so you know. Here we have uh, Reuters. Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump subpoenaed in New York probe. New York's Attorney General, she's such a hack and a fraud and a moron. Letitia James has subpoenaed two of Trump's adult children as part of her civil probe into the former president's business practices and namesake company. Who the hell would want to do business in New York? Seriously. This woman should have had her license removed. And just as Adam Schiff should have had his license challenged with ethics complaints in front of the New York, excuse me, the California Supreme Court, so should Letitia James have to defend her law license in front of the highest court in New York. She's also subpoenaed President Trump. Lawyers for the Trump family are seeking to block her from questioning the former Republican president and his children. Just look at the attacks on Trump, because he might run for office again. Look what they do. Look what they do. It's it's the entire legal establishment, the judicial establishment, the Democrat Party, and the media. The uh, subpoenas were first reported by the New York Slimes, of course, because everybody leaks to the Holocaust-denying New York Slimes. James has been investigating whether the company fraudulently inflated the values of its real estate holdings to obtain bank loans and reduce the values to save on taxes. You know, this is a very ambiguous area. I mean, I'm not somebody who owns a ton of property and that sort of stuff, but it's a very ambiguous area. And so it's really quite preposterous. Nobody's done that to Biden with his multiple homes or to Obama with his multiple homes or anything of the kind, have they? So it's just another way to try and destroy people, to dispirit people, to prevent them from running. The Lynn Cheney's, the Letitia James's, the Benny Hills and so forth and so on. Yes, I know it's Thompson. Who cares? Some good progress in Florida. You've got to love the state of Florida. You've got to love DeSantis. WFLA TV report on Sunday. Hat tip Breitbart. Take a listen to this. This is something that we have promoted on this program. When we had a caller many months ago call and say that he felt that teachers should be required to wear body cams. And I said, let me amend that slightly. That there ought to be video in the classrooms. 
There ought to be video in the classrooms. That's so parents know what's going on. If there are video in cop cars, and if cops are required to have videos, and many courtrooms have videos and so forth, more than any other place, the classroom ought to have videos. More than any other place. Those are your children in there, day in and day out. Cut 16, go. A new bill in the state legislature would allow schools to install cameras in classrooms to record classroom instruction and let parents review the footage if there is ever an incident. The bill would force certain classroom teachers to wear a microphone and require a written explanation if that recording is interrupted. Political reporter Emma Donovan joins us from the newsroom with the details. The bill would attempt to protect student privacy by forcing the images of other students to be blurred. And schools would be required to hold on to the recordings for at least three months. The bill is sponsored by State Representative Bob Rommel of Naples. It would allow school districts to install video cameras in classrooms for the purposes of recording an incident, which it defines as abuse or neglect of a student by an employee or another student. Parents of a child involved in an incident must be allowed to review the video within a week, but the identity of other students who aren't involved must be blurred. Teachers must wear microphones, and the camera has to be at the front of the classroom, capable of monitoring video and audio from all areas except a restroom or other changing area. Parents, students, and employees must be notified before cameras are installed, and principals would be in charge of all recordings, which must be kept for three months or until the conclusion of any investigation or any administrative or legal proceedings. After that, the video must be destroyed. The cameras cannot be live streamed or continually monitored, and videos cannot be used for teacher evaluations. The law would require all school districts to complete and vote on whether to implement classroom cameras by January 1st, 2023. The bill was just filed this week, so it has not yet been All right, thank you. Anyway, uh, that's great. And, of course, you parents out there, you'll pick up whether they're pushing critical race theory or doing these other things. Very, very important, I think. Notice how the media treats certain public figures one way and certain public figures another. Mark, we know that. No, but it's, it's so obvious now. And I didn't just say political figures, public figures, people who make themselves public, like Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's a fraud and a historical illiterate, in my humble opinion. And then there's Ron DeSantis, who, to my, my way of thinking, is the most effective governor in the country. The third biggest state. Now, his wife is undergoing treatment for breast cancer, chemotherapy treatments. He's got three children, all of whom are very young, and he's the governor. And so he has a press conference today, and I want you to listen to this. Cut 15, go. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should have been at the beach in Delaware, right? And then they would have been really happy with that. Um, you know, it was, I mean, you look, we actually put out the schedule, and I think these people didn't know that. They think because you're not doing a big press conference, you're not doing. So, you know, uh, Friday we were, uh, Kevin, Joe, and I all had discussions about, you know, doing what we're doing. Of course, I was at the... He's accused of being the absent governor. First of all, he's two activists, then he's absent. Now he's trying to take care of his wife and family and... Be the governor of the state. This is what you want, right? From a moral family man, this is what you want from a leader. Go ahead. 
later to Thursday in the office working on this and some other stuff. Um, and it's true, Wednesday, there was nothing on the calendar. And so I think they're like, oh my God, he's on vacation. And I'm like, you know, and I just looked at my wife. I'm like, you know, going to the hospital uh, with you uh, is not a vacation for you. I know that. And it's not a vacation. I mean, this is something that as a husband, I think that I, I should be doing. Uh, I've accompanied her to all her chemotherapy treatments and she's there for a long time. I mean, you know, I'm there most of the time, but it's a, it's a draining thing when she's done with it you know it's it's not it's it's not something that, that that's great to see um, and so I just think a lot of people particularly people that have gone through breast cancer treatments the notion that that would be considered a vacation I think is offensive to a lot of those folks and they understand you know what you're doing at the same time she's committed to not being in the fetal position the whole time and you know she's she's not through with it but she's almost through with it and I think she's going to end up good on the other end of it but that's just um, you know the way the way she is. No, 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 no. You've been missing, Governor. Where have you been? You've been hiding with Kamala. Did Joe invite you to his basement? Where have you been, Governor? His wife is ill. That's where he's been. See how they treat some politicians versus others. This is what I'm talking about. It's grotesque. Let me ask you a question. Meet the press. This Sunday was January 2nd. A brand new year is taking off. There's so many things going on in our country. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So many things. And you're sitting there and you're the moderator, really the hack propagandist on Meet the Depressed. It's the goofy guy with the goofy haircut. And you're there, and you decide who your guests are going to be. This is a big Sunday show. It's the first Sunday show of 2022. And you're the man in charge, or the boy, in charge of Meet the Depressed. And you pick Nicole Hannah-Jones. Actually, I'm wrong, December 26th right after Christmas, and you pick Nicole Hannah-Jones. Lots of big things going on at the end of the year, too. Now, why would you do that? She's a kook. I've said this whole movement is Louis Farrakhan dressed up as something substantive. That's what it is. Except it's even worse than Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan is very straightforward in the things that he says and the way he says them. He is a hateful SOB. But so are these other people. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is on Meet the Depressed on December 26th, the day after Christmas. On a Sunday. What does she have to say to Schmuck Todd? Cut 17, go, hat tip, right part. I don't really understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught. I'm not a professional educator. I don't have a degree in social studies or science. We send our children to school because we want them to be taught by people who have an expertise in the That's subject. That's not what we're talking about. See what I mean? Dumb, dumb, dumb. What should be taught? The parents aren't saying I should sit there and teach them calculus. Or advanced physics. 
the parents are saying, I expect you to teach them math and have a proficiency in math. I expect you to teach them English and have a proficiency in English, maybe a second language. I expect you to teach them literature and have some proficiency in literature. I expect you to teach them real history and have some proficiency in history and so forth. So you set a foundation. Perhaps they want to go to college. Perhaps they want to get a job out of high school, whatever it is. Don't fill their minds with crap, with your radical Marxist, racist, segregationist crap. That's what the parents mean, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. And that is not my job. When the when the uh, governor or, or the candidate said that he didn't think parents should be, be deciding what's being taught in school, he was panned for that. But but that's just the fact. Um, that's just is- the fact, whether the parents like it or not. She's talking about McCullough, of course. Loser. That's what she's talking about. Parents shouldn't decide anything. Look, just because you pay the teacher's salaries, the pensions, the medical care... Just because you pay the, the administrators, pensions, salaries, medical care, just because you pay for the facilities and the utilities and the furniture and the textbooks, just because you pay for the buses and the salaries of the bus drivers and everything, doesn't mean you should have a say in anything. We've got all kinds of specialists who are taught how to teach who are members of a professional association that we call unions. Why should you parents be involved in this process? Well, then why have a school board? Why have elections? Why have meetings, right? And trust me, if they had their way, there wouldn't be any of that either. You see how they, they call in the thugs. I think they call them stormtroopers. That's what I think Nancy Pelosi calls them. Let's go to cut 18, please. Go. End of the day, um, this politicizing of this. Uh, there is he is, the most uh, inarticulate and illiterate man on television. And I put him up there with Sharpton. Schmuck Todd. And at the end of the day, this politicizing of this. What are you talking about, you idiot? No, no. This politicizing of this. Now, you heard some of the real newsmen from the 60s and 70s, the Howard K. Smiths and so forth, the Bill Clarks. These are men that stuck to their business, stuck to their profession. That's not Chuck Todd, low IQ, dumb as a flounder. Start at the top, please. Cut 18, go. End of the day, um, this politicizing of this, uh, it's clearly been weaponized. You've described it, I think, pretty well on the weaponization of it. He's, he's uh, talking about critical race theory. You know, it's pretty much been weaponized. Mm-hmm. You've described it pretty well. There he is dealing with a, in my opinion, a Marxist advocate who's pushing this whole race society out. This is the best Chuck Todd can do. This is why I talk about them in the American Marxism. This is why my last two books even quote Chuck Todd. Not because he's Aristotle. Because he's a moron. Go ahead. Do you think simply time will get us past this? How, how can we get over this hump? How, how can we get over this hump of weaponizing uh, opposition to critical race theory? How do we get over this hump? 
What kind of a show is this, this Meet the Press? What kind of a moron is this? If you want to be the spokesperson for Black Lives Matter, or you want to be the spokesperson for her publisher, or you want to be your wife's spokesperson, who's a consultant to Democrats, if you want to be a spokesperson for the DNC, fine. But what the hell are you doing on Meet the Press, you schmuck? What are you doing there? I used to like this show. Now I can't stand him or it. He doesn't know anything about history. Look at him. Listen to him. Hey, uh, hey, this politicizing of this, I mean, it's really been weaponized. I, I mean, what kind of a mind do you need? You don't even have to do any research to talk about Hey, you know what? Uh, you're, you're politicizing this and weaponizing this. How do we get over this hump? Wow. Pay him $12 million a year. That hump is on your shoulders, you idiot. Go ahead. I don't know, honestly. I'm quite concerned about what's happening in our country. Good, good, good. That's right, I said good. You're concerned for once. People who love this country, red-blooded Americans of every color, have had it with you, your damn project, and all the rest of it. And Chuck Schott, excuse me, Chuck Schmuck, and he can stick it up as you know what. All of it. Tuck, schmuck, schmuck, Todd. What, what, what? You know, you're a grown-up guy. You're on TV uh, with with the uh, with with the weird haircut, uh, and then with the uh, hey, my name's Chuck, Chuck. Oh, I'll take you seriously. Then he opens his mouth. He goes, "Oh my God, what are they doing here?" I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. We are going to, uh, after the bottom of the hour, have to talk about Chuck Schumer. Those of you, what's with the Chuck? Now, some of you out there are great patriots. You're named Chuck. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the upchuckers. That uh, Chuck wants to vote to change the filibuster to get through their voting bill. They want to do that, you see, ladies and gentlemen, so they have a new issue. You see, the Republicans don't want people of color to vote. There they go again. Well, let me ask you something, Chuck. Stereotyping people of color. When the Republicans say they don't want fraud, why do you assume they mean people of color? They don't mean people of color. First of all, how many people of no color are there out there? Seriously. 
How many people of no color? I mean, other than Elizabeth Warren, how many are there, Mr. Producer? I can't think of a lot. Well, Nancy Pelosi might be another. By the way, did you see where her big, stupid husband, her big, stupid husband, I think it's Paul Pelosi, how he was trading stocks after Nancy said, uh, we we believe in it. We believe in capitalism. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Of course we should trade. And then our husband, you know, he's, he's trading millions. Of, no, no, don't look at their tax return. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. Chuck Schumer made a threat today. No, he didn't make that threat. No, Chuck Schumer made a threat today. Either the Republicans commit political and electoral suicide, or he will change the filibuster rule to nationalize the election process, destroy red states, and make sure everyone and anyone can vote as long as they vote Democrat. That's their great reform. Now, you will hear the media report about this. You will never hear the media explain what Chuck Schumer wants to do to our voting system. I've only explained it 400,000 times, whether on TV or here. But no one in the media will explain it. I'll bet you five bucks, Mr. Producer. Nobody. Not on cable, not on network, nobody. Because to know what's in it is to gag. And I tell you the truth. Now, that's what Chuck Schumer has said on January 17th. Now, just to show you how these white elitist leftists conduct themselves. They picked January 17th because it's Martin Luther King's birthday day. And so what they want to do is use people of color to advance their own power. To advance their own power. And that's what they do. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make this a black-white issue, and it has nothing to do with black or white. It's everything to do with the Democrat Party subverting our system. Now, that said... Chuck Schumer did not always believe this, ladies and gentlemen. Wasn't that long ago. 
Score years minus five. Very Lincoln-like, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Score years minus five. Sixteen years ago, the schmuckster said do not eliminate the filibuster. Moreover, he even said in 2017, 2017, don't change the filibuster rule. But now, he wants to change it. Why? Because he's a power-hungry puke. That's why. I said a power-hungry puke because that's what he is. What did he say back there, way back then, Mr. Producer? Go ahead. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, to wash away 200 years of history. They want to make this country into a banana republic, where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? No! It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. Chuck. Chuck, what happened, Chuck? Did you bang your head? Chuck, what happened? A doomsday for democracy is now is now your calling card. A doomsday for democracy. Because that's what you're promoting. You want to get rid of the filibuster rule so you can change the voting system. Not for the better. Because it's a formalized insurrection. May I say that? I think I did. It's an insurrection. But I don't know what's more dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. A doomsday for democracy led by Chuck Schumer and his ilk, his comrades. The other Reds in the Congress. Or the meat conglomerate. The meat conglomerate. Oh, yes. The meat conglomerate. Have you not heard of this before? Oh, yes. It's now called Big Meat, I think, Mr. Producer, isn't it? Mr. Producer is too busy laughing. So now Joe Biden wants to go after Big Meat. Apparently so does Nancy Pelosi. Today at the White House, the increase in meat prices because of Big Meat. Cut 19, go! But today... We're here to talk about strengthening competition. Now, that's pretty funny. They favor centralized government, centralized unionization, centralized industrial policy. But today, we're here to talk about competition. They want to destroy the election system so only Democrats get... But today, we're here to talk about the... Go ahead. But today, we're here to talk about strengthening competition which will bring down cost. Back in July, I signed an executive order to promote competition across the economy. In too many What's he industries- talking about? Which one of his four billion executive orders is he talking about that promotes competition? None of them. But in too many industries, go ahead. A handful of giant companies dominate the market. 
And too often, they use their power to squeeze out smaller competitors and stifle new entrepreneurs, making our economy less dynamic, giving themselves free reign to raise prices, reduce options for consumers, or exploit workers. Where does this language come from? Exploitation of workers? Squeeze out companies? Free reign? Marx. I don't know why people don't believe me when I tell them. He's making that argument. He's making that argument. He doesn't provide a single specific in his long-winded rambling. Not a single specific. He's giving you ideology. Go ahead. Industry is a textbook example on the price side. Four big corporations control more than half the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. Well, let's say that's true, and I don't know, but who cares? How come prices are going up now? Skyrocketing. And how come it's not just pork, excuse me, meat of all kinds? How come it's also fowl? How come it's also fish? How come it's also milk? How come it's also bread? How come everything at a grocery store at a supermarket is going up? How come it's also gasoline? It's big meat. It's big, uh, it's big asparagus. Yes. It's big bakery. They're all conspiring against you. They're all after. Where are my raisins? Go ahead. These middlemen that they buy from, farmers and ranchers, and sell the processors, excuse me, and sell the process, excuse me, sell the processed product. What the hell are you trying to say, you idiot? Excuse me. Go ahead. To grocery stores. That's the, that's the way it works. Without meaningful competition. That's farmers... the way it works. This guy has been in government his entire damn life. He doesn't know how meat processing works. Hey, this is the way it works out there. How come gasoline prices were low and we were energy independent? Now they're high and we're not. How come food prices were low and now they're not? Because all of a sudden, Big Meat got together. They had a meeting, Big Meat. And they were all at the table, big pork, big beef. It's a big deal. They're, they're all sitting at the table. There. How can we raise the prices? How can, how can we create shortages? Yeah, that's what companies are in business to do, create shortages. But four years of Trump, big meat didn't do this. Big gas didn't do this. Big bakery didn't do this. Big this didn't do No, but it's not Biden. No, pass more spending. More inflation. Well, more inflation creates less inflation. That's what... Okay, see you tomorrow. All right, go ahead. Don't get to choose who they sell to. Or put another way, our farmers and ranchers have to pay whatever these four big companies say they have to pay, by and large. But that's only half of it. What are you talking about, you idiot? What in the hell are you talking about? The price of food is up because the price of fertilizer is up. Fertilizer uses fossil fuel. The price of food is up because the price of, of harvesting is up. You know, tractors and that sort of thing, the costs are through the roof. 
running tractors that cost her through the roof, trucking the food to the American people, packaging it with plastics and styrofoam, all made out of fossil fuels. They're through the roof. It's called inflation. It's not big this or big that, except big government and a big loser with a big mouth like this guy. Go ahead. These companies can use their position as middlemen to overcharge grocery stores and ultimately families. Let's get them. Let's get big meat. Let's get them. And I'm a vegetarian. Let's get them. Get them. Get them. Get them. How stupid. Somebody sat there and wrote this for the dummy. We'll create enemies. We got big meat and so forth. All I can say is I agree with with Jared Schmeck. Cut 20 go. Yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Uh, Merry Christmas, you. and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I <laughs> yeah. agree. Yeah, so do I. Let's go, Brandon. And all of your staff and so forth, I have made them honorary members of Fatties United. So let's go, Brandon, and F you, the Biden administration. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Just a reminder, you can hear the lies. The, the only person who died as a direct result of the violence on January 6th, the violence in the Capitol was violent, was Ashley Babbitt. Now, she was, as I say, a U.S. Air Force vet. She was unarmed, and she was shot dead by a Capitol Hill officer because she climbed through a broken door into the Speaker's lobby. Three other people who died had medical emergencies. Medical emer- They didn't die as a result of what took place in the Capitol, but, and there's no direct connection. But the media want to insist on it. And police officer, a Capitol police officer, Brian Sicknick, he suffered two strokes at the base of his brainstem as a result of blood clot after the, uh, the day after the riot. On January 6th, the Bidens, the Democrat Party, and the media are going to celebrate the lives of the people who died that day, or the next day, or the day after, the Capitol Police officer, Sicknick being one of them. 
and um, and the service of the other officers. These are the only officers that Pelosi celebrates. As I've said many times before, she called federal law enforcement that was trying to protect the Portland courthouse, a federal courthouse, stormtrooper. So did the number three, James Clapper. And Benny Hill Thompson was poisonously anti-cop before he became a member of Congress, or I even should say was on this committee. So the same party that celebrated Black Lives Matter, which injured thousands of police officers, is now going to honor the police officers at the event on January 6th. Think about that. They're going to use the voting issue to try and upset minorities in this country. They're going to use January 6th to pretend they're pro-cop. These are the same people who defended violent people in the past. These are the same people whose presidents, whose presidents have given pardons and clemency to convicted domestic terrorists. And one of their presidents was friends with a couple. Just remember who and what we're dealing with. The greatest threat to democracy. I spent two hours on this program demonstrating to you that that's a lie. On top of all the other evidence, Russia collusion that went on and on and on for the purpose of trying to destroy Donald Trump, his family, his presidency, and to raise doubts about our our republic and the election and the integrity of the president. These people, who are they to lecture us? Wrote an entire book on freedom of the press exposing who they are, who they are. They are what we say they are. They are what we think they are. In fact, they're worse. They're worse. You're going to hear the same lies over and over again. Of course we want violent people prosecuted. But don't pretend this was the greatest threat to this country ever. The Democrat Party is at this point. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to start this new year with you. It's an honor to be here with you. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I will see you tomorrow. God bless.